So um, welcome everyone, welcome. Tonight, um, I wanna continue um, exploring a, a strand of practice which I touched on last week um, and try to make it a little bit more concrete. Not that I think what we were talking about last week was not concrete, but I think there, I could imagine people walking away thinking about, so what do I do with this, right? Especially like, what do I do with this distinction between empathy and compassion that Joan Halifax was talking about and that Bernie was, you know, discussing that kind of makes sense an intellectual level, sort of maybe, but then actually, what does that look like? when it comes to my actual interactions with other people. And I think that would be a really natural, understandable and good question. So um, what I'd like to do tonight is to talk a little bit about the ways in which body scan practice can be um, a really easy, natural and powerful way of, um, of actualizing this distinction or actualizing our understanding of this distinction between empathy and compassion in the way we listen to others um, and interact with others. Um, so for those of you who weren't here, most of you I think were here last week, but not all of you. And some of you may not have um, had a chance to listen to the recording um, of last week's class. Um, so just very briefly, um, I, I read a bit from Joan Halifax's book, Standing at the Edge, in which she makes a distinction between empathy and compassion, um, which when I first encountered it, I said, aha, that, that makes so much sense. And yet I never would have thought of it in this way. Because I think like a lot of people, I think of empathy and compassion as almost synonymous. Like to be compassionate with someone is to show empathy for them. And I think, and where it is, it's like, it's nothing other than being empathetic with them in a certain way. Um, and I think empathy is definitely a component of compassion, but Joan Halifax, um, I think really helpfully talks about the ways in which they're not quite the same thing. Um, and she's thinking about this phenomenon that often goes under the name of compassion fatigue, where we feel just so worn out by uh, feeling, being sensitive to taking on in whatever ways we do, whether it's just vicariously or in actual work with people, the suffering of others. And we feel burnt, we can feel burnt out. Um, I mean, she begins that chapter by actually uh, quoting from a conversation she had with an old friend of hers who was a therapist who said he was just getting sick and tired of his patients, his clients, um, could not stand listening to their suffering anymore. Um, and she saw that as really a sign that he was experiencing something called, that she calls empathetic distress. Um, and some people might, she said, call it compassion fatigue, but actually, she doesn't think compassion can get fatigued. Compassion originates in, I don't know what the right way of putting it, but comes from a space that's inexhaustible, um, where we experience our true natures, our boundless true natures, 
And um, and actually, you know, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche once said that one actually can't really know what compassion is until one has experienced the emptiness of oneself, because the two experiences are the same. When you experience the dissolution of yourself, then you can, for the first time, experience true compassion. Um, and up until then, you experience things that are kind of like it, you know, uh, bits of it, um, components of it, but not actually the thing itself. Um, so compassion is when we don't relate small self to small self, but true nature to nature. Empathy, according to Halifax, is when our self starts to take on too much of the suffering of another, starts to become overwhelmed by another's pain, starts to even lose the sense that there's a distinction between ourself and another. Um, and for all those reasons, starts to feel overwhelmed and, and re responds in the ways that we respond to ourselves when we get overwhelmed by our own suffering and pain. And of course, there's so many different ways that we can respond, right? We can um, run away from our, from our own pain, to some, to, to engage in something to just um, flee our pain, some distractive behavior. Um, we feel just deep aversion to it, right? Um, we can do, try to fix ourselves, you know, do something to make ourselves feel better. Okay, so I have a problem. I don't feel good. What can I do about it so I can get better? You know, and, and then relate to ourselves like a project, um, a, a fix-it project, you know. Um, we can do all sorts of things, dissociate from the pain, um, judge ourselves, get angry at ourselves for suffering. I mean, we have all manner of ways of um, responding in uncompassionate ways to our own suffering. And those, all those things are things we can do when we start to feel overwhelmed by the suffering of another. So, um, so already I think I'm, I'm moving into the train that I wanna talk about tonight, which is um, for, because what I said, just said, I think is true that we can turn away from or try to fix another um, or get angry at another in exactly the ways that we can do all those things to ourselves when we can't stand the way we are feeling in ourselves. Those practices which help us relate to our own emotions and pain um, and suffering in more compassionate ways will have a natural crossover effect to how we can respond to the suffering of others. Um, and one of the, I think, most powerful practices to this end is a body scan practice. And I think it actually has a doubly useful function when we're talking about relating more skillfully to the suffering of another person in order to prevent empathic distress, which is the word that, um, that Joan Halifax used to describe this kind of overwhelm that we can feel when the other's pain starts to kind of like become too much for us. And one of the reasons 
body scans are really especially, I think, useful for thinking about how to respond to the suffering of others is it is based upon a kind of steady anchoring in the experience of our own physical bodies. And for that, by doing that, it reminds us constantly when we are faced with the suffering of another, that we are here and they are there. Um, because, so there's a, I, I think I'm putting out more quickly, more than I wanted. So um, don't worry, I'm gonna unpack all this. Okay, but I think this is a little bit of a, a quick kind of um, teaser of where some of the places that we're gonna go tonight. So in many ways, actually, everything we're gonna do tonight is something we've already done many, many times before together. It's just a body scan where we're gonna explore different parts of our body. And I think very naturally come across different parts of the body that feel uncomfortable. And then when we do that, we will start to you know, explore the ways that we start to like tense up around those spots that we don't like, or we try to use the body scan to, to make those parts feel better and maybe we'll experience tension and we kind of covertly, we know the body scan is about letting sensations be, but we'll notice that actually what we really want deep down is for the, that tension to relax, right? To release, to go away. Um, and we'll notice the ways in which our mind will start to spin because it just doesn't want to hang out with the pain. And then we'll notice the ways in which we judge ourselves for either being incapable of staying with the pain, for having the pain, or for doing whatever the heck it is we're gonna do when we um, face discomfort. And later on, we're gonna talk about the ways in which we do almost identical things when we encounter the suffering of others. You know, everything we do when we are faced with suffering in ourselves, we do to others. Um, we will be open to another to the extent that we can be open to ourselves. A lot of people, I don't think people on this call, but you know, you hear people say, oh, isn't meditation so indulgent? It's so narcissistic. You know, you're just, you're just working on yourself. Like the world is on fire. You know, other, there's so much suffering out there. Shouldn't we, shouldn't we engage with that? But the thing we're gonna talk about tonight will point clearly to the ways in which actually attending to suffering within is one of the most powerful ways of opening to the suffering out there, but in ways that are skillful, in ways that do not reinforce negative sort of psychic patterns in others or try to um, respond to them in, uh, with aggressive you know, strategies, like trying to fix other people, right? Um, try to pity other people or just get angry at other people because of how much, you know, they just, why don't they, why can't that, why can't this friend of mine just get his shit together? You know, it's the same old thing all the time, right? Um, you know, all the ways that we kind of just get impatient with others. Chances are that the ways in which, if you want to know what you do to yourself, think about those people who kind of make your fuse feel very short, right? Um, those are pretty good clues to the parts of yourself that you're not really that open to seeing. Um, 
Okay, so um, let's begin with a body scan, all right? So please get in a position that's comfortable. I think, you know, often I'll say, um, you know, feel free to lie down. I think for the purposes of this particular session, I think it'd be useful to adopt a position in which you can imagine having a conversation with someone else, since that's the kind of kind of crossover practice we're doing tonight. So unless you're used to having conversations with people lying down, um, sit up, you know, um, in, a ch in a chair or just on a cushion so you're upright, because I think it does feel slightly different. It'll be good to practice what it is to get, you know, be centered and grounded in the kind of posture that you would have when talking to another person. So just rock back and forth, side to side a bit, just to feel your body get balanced. You want your back to be straight, but not rigid. So your front side can be soft and open so that your breath can move freely in and out of the body. Open to the sounds, the environment as you just begin to settle into your sitting posture. So you're sort of feeling in a loose open way, just the feeling of your body just being here, sitting upright, not yet focusing on any particular thing like the breath or any particular sensations, but just a loose, soft awareness of the physical presence of your body here. And a gentle, slow opening to sounds in the space around you. Notice how your mind may be carrying you away from sounds, carrying you away from your body. So for moments, or maybe even stretches of time, you're not hearing anything. You're not sensing your body. And just when you notice that, acknowledge it in whatever way feels natural to you. You could say thinking to yourself. You could note the particular kind of thought you're having. Maybe it's a planning thought. And then just, again, return to the body and to sounds. And please keep throughout the rest of this meditation kind of a loose background awareness of sound. and just also a sense of the body as a whole. But we'll begin to start focusing on different points 
in the body and move around a bit, exploring the sensations and emotions that are to be found in various parts of the body. So let's begin with the breath. Let's start with the breath in the nose. Feel the coolness of the breath as you draw it into your body. In the soft tissue inside your nose. And feel the sensations produced by your exhalation as your breath leaves the body through the nose. With each breath, let your awareness of the sensations of the breath become just a bit more textured, more granular. Note how the sensations are different, the beginning, in the middle, and the end of each in-breath and out-breath. And remember that when thoughts carry away, as they will, time and again, just notice that with as much gentleness as possible. And just come back to the breath or later on to other parts of the body. And if you find yourself judging yourself for losing track of the breath, for losing your focus, please notice that maybe just by saying, judging, judging. So right now you're attending to the breath, the nose, and then loosely to sounds in the space around you and just to the overall presence of your body sitting. Now let's bring our awareness down to the center of our chest, to the sternum area, the breastbone. Just feel the sensations in the center of the chest that are associated with the breath. 
Let your awareness of the sensations in the center of the chest become just a bit more textured or granular with each breath. Now please bring your awareness down to your belly, especially maybe just the inch or two below your belly button, but not hyper-focused, not laser-focused, just that area. And feel the sensations there that are associated with the breath. Also just the other kinds of sensations, emotions and energy that are often swirling in the belly a rich place for both feeling and sensation. You may notice some tension or holding in the belly, not at all uncommon. If you notice any holding or tension, just soften your awareness around it. Let it be there, but just let it soften of its own if it will. Sometimes when you notice that a muscle is tense and just start aware of it in a gentle way, that muscle will soften on its own and perhaps your belly will. But if not, it's okay. There's no way that the belly is supposed to feel. Just be curious and explore. If you notice any sensations in the belly that, I don't know, feel a little uncomfortable, like they don't feel that pleasant, maybe even very unpleasant, notice how your awareness reacts. When awareness encounters something, a thought, a sensation or emotion that it does not like, what happens? This isn't about responding in some correct way. It's simply being curious about how awareness reacts when it encounters something that is uncomfortable. Do you feel awareness constrict, tighten up? Do you feel your muscles around whatever you're feeling and not liking, tighten up. Do you find it suddenly hard not to get lost in thought or fantasy? 
beautiful thing is there is no way to respond incorrectly. Just try to be curious, genuinely curious, about how you respond to sensations, thoughts, and emotions that you don't like. Now please bring your awareness to your buttocks and feel just to begin the quality of contact between your behind and whatever it is that you're resting or sitting upon. How is your weight distributed on your bottom? Which parts of your bottom feel like they're bearing more of the weight of your body? And then now, as you continue to be aware of this area, with each breath, let your awareness move a bit more into the muscles of your bottom, the glutes. If you find any holding or tension here, remember, just soften around those sensations. Let them be there. And then if they dissipate or release on their own, let them go. If you've done a body scan a few times and you've experienced a softening or relaxing of the body, in subsequent body scans, you can start to approach this practice with deep expectations of how it should feel as you move from area to area. These expectations themselves that the muscles will soften or whatever can themselves cause tension and frustration. If you notice that is happening, just notice, just notice that expectation is now informing your practice and soften around that and feel what expectation feels like. Feel what frustration feels like with gentle curiosity and see what happens when you just approach those kinds of emotions with curiosity. Let's bring our awareness to our lower back now.
the muscles that run up and down either side of the spinal column and that radiate out from there. How do they feel? An interesting question to ask when we're scanning this area is, can you feel the breath here? If the muscles in the lower back are soft and receptive, you'll feel the breath, even if it's just subtly. If it feels too tight for the breath to have any effect here, then notice how that feels. Notice what that kind of tension feels like at the level of sensation. And perhaps just by being aware of that holding, the muscles will open, but maybe not. Again, there's no right thing, just notice. Let's move up the back now to the shoulder blades and the muscles and tissue in and around the shoulder blades. Can you feel the breath here? How exactly is the breath as it expands in your lungs moving? the bones, muscles, and connective tissue in the upper back. Just study that with curiosity. Now let's check out the shoulder muscles, the shoulder muscle that runs from the shoulder socket up to the base of the skull on either side. Can you feel any movement in these muscles associated with the breath? Or are your shoulder muscles so tight that they don't even feel like muscle, but maybe like rock? However it feels, try to soften around the sensations. Now let's check out the forehead and the brow area. 
What sensations do you feel there? It can be so tempting when doing a meditation like this to use these pauses with different muscle areas to try to relax each one in turn. But just study, see if you can let be whatever you find. Softening, releasing may happen. And then just notice that. But can you approach whatever sensations you find without an agenda, without expectations? Now please move your awareness to your eyes. Feel your eyes and the soft tissue around your eyes. How many hours have you spent today squinting at screens, big and small? Perhaps also you're carrying some anxiety in this area. Do you feel any achiness, tension, fatigue? Perhaps even like a quivery kind of energy from having used these muscles so much. Now let's go to our jaw bone muscles, the muscles located where our upper and lower jaw, jaws connect, which we use to chew. If you grit your teeth through the day, or grind your teeth at night, you may encounter genuine achiness, soreness here. Bring a soft and gentle awareness to these muscles. If you find tension, can you let the tension float in a bigger awareness that is itself soft and accepting?
And now let's end with the lips. Okay, take your time coming out of this. You just wiggle your fingers and toes, open your eyes slowly. And I encourage you even more than usual to maintain the awareness of the body that you have now cultivated and deepened in this practice as I speak, because in a way, one of the things I'm going to be talking about is how using body scan-like techniques while talking to others during difficult conversations can be profoundly helpful. So to simplify a bit, I think when we encounter unpleasant feelings or sensations as we're going through the body in a practice like this, we can respond in a variety of ways. Um, one very, very common way is just to tighten up and respond to these um, sensations that we don't want with resistance. Um, and sometimes it, there's definitely like a constriction of consciousness or awareness, but it's often accompanied by actual physical tightening up. Um, so for example, like people who have back pain, right? Um, there is the back pain itself, but there's often a kind of another layer of tightening up around the pain as their way of sort of like kind of fending off or pushing away. And that other layer of tension can be deeply loaded with emotion, like anger, grief, um, all sorts of you know different kinds of feelings. Um, so, just aversion, you know. We can also um, try to get rid of the discomfort that we're feeling. Um, in a way, try to fix it, right? Um, and I think when you first get introduced to body scan and start to realize that awareness, just present moment awareness, can profoundly alter how the body feels. I mean, it's, it's kind of amazing, you know. Um, first of all, like, you, it's sometimes a revelation that you actually feel discomfort or tension in different parts of the body. So literally just going through the body, you say, oh my God, like, I didn't even know that there was like, discomfort there or pain there. Um, and then, you, or, and, and often, you know, accompanied by tension, maybe the pain itself, discomfort is tension or there's tension around it. Um, and then to feel how you can, it can soften, it can release, you know, um, sometimes just like dissolve. I don't know, um, when you 
um, just our hangout with it, with awareness. Um, as I suggested during the course of this meditation, it's, it's very natural and um, to go through a phase where you start to use body scan techniques instrumentally, where you start to like try to do something to yourself by using this kind of technique, um, like basically going through the body, softening. And actually that's like, as long as you're doing that consciously and that's the intention, that's fine. I mean, I'm not actually, that is a way to do a deep relaxation meditation. There is such a thing and there's nothing wrong with that. But um, it's also important and in the context of what we're talking about today, especially important to learn how to just scan and be with um, whatever you find. Um, and then, you know, I think maybe going into um, the experience of dissolving or um, relaxing or releasing that I just talked about, I think sometimes what you can experience, um, a way of describing it is like, you sort of what was solid when you first came across it suddenly starts to seem much less solid, um, kind of insubstantial. You start to see that um, this thing, which was just that pain that you've always had in that part of the body, it's actually made up of a lot of different kinds of sensations when you start to hang out with it. You know, of course, even to get that close in, maybe you have to like just stay with the resistance to the pain that's like there for a while, the discomforts for a while. But you know, after a while, you can get closer, you can inch up to the discomfort itself, which, you know, at first seems so solid and real. Um, nothing more solid or real in your life than this thing that just won't go away. And then it starts to show itself to be constituted by, oh, like this kind of sensation there, maybe this burning sensation there, a certain kind of tightness there, here like a kind of electric energy, I don't know, hard to put a finer word for, and there like a vibration. And then each of those things can start to open up more and more so that in a way, you, it's almost like at times you don't even, it's like it's there sort of, but you don't feel it. It's like, it's so insubstantial. It's just, it starts to dissolve. And so it's not necessarily that it's not there, but it it's not what it was. And um, it's, you could describe it as sort of seeing more deeply into it, the nature of that phenomenon. And that is, it's like, you know, looking at a solid object with, um, electron microscope or whatever, seeing that's made up of particles, you know, that's not nearly as solid as um, it struck you at first. And so, so what's interesting is like, even with like really deep pain, deep discomfort, or deeply unpleasant emotions, um, you can experience them, they're there, and yet they don't cause you suffering anymore. Um, they just are there and there's a soft awareness and it's not a problem. And yet it's not because it went away. And it's a kind of an amazing, it's kind of an amazing experience of freedom where you realize you don't actually have to change anything. You don't have to get rid of things to feel okay or free but it's rather seeing what's there in a different way. 
Um, it's a small, you know, taste of what practice can do at bigger scales for the whole structure of ego. Um, but it's this is this is one of the reasons these practices are really useful because they're concrete. You're looking at oh, this pain. Let's see what's there. What is it? And you can start to see that it's not what it looked like at first at all. Um, and the thing that made it seem so intolerable suddenly doesn't feel so bad. Um, so I think what I want to talk about is really the ways in which the body scan and what we learn about how to relate to our own discomfort in a body scan can be really helpful when we are in conversation with other people where either they're sharing their suffering with us or we're just having some kind of charged conversation that's creating discomfort in us or kind of like that's, that's activating us in some way. Um, I think, you know, that the second kind of conversation, I think, you know, there might, you, I think I'll leave that up to you. I think you'll see certain implications for how what we're gonna talk about, what, what I'm gonna talk about tonight can carry over to that scenario. But I think I wanna talk just um, for the sake of time, I wanna focus on just maybe when someone is sharing something that's really um, painful, you know, uh, sharing their suffering with you. Um, and so I don't know how many of you checked out the, um, the video on deep listening, but in a way, what I'm gonna talk about is actually like, when Thich Nhat Hanh says, just listen compassionately, right? Listen with an open heart. Um, what is that actually, you know, how do you do that, right? And this is one way, not the only way, this is one way to do that, which is to maintain a kind of body scan-like awareness of your body as you listen to the other person talking. Because I think, What's fascinating is if you try this, see how you respond to the sensation of discomfort that you feel in your own body as you start to listen to the other person sharing about their own suffering. And you'll see all the ways in which, I mean, here, just there's like so many, but here, just a few. Um, you know, one of the things that happens and it's happened on these, in these sittings is sometimes people will bring their awareness to an uncomfortable sensation or emotion, right? And then just get overwhelmed by it, right? They'll get lost in it. You know, you'll do a body scan, you'll bring your awareness to a place of discomfort and suddenly the entire sitting just becomes horrible because you are so immersed in that negative emotion, right? That's an example of a time when you're bringing awareness to something and are unable to hold it with enough space so that you can see it in the context of a bigger awareness and it just takes over your consciousness. And I think the same thing can often happen when you're talking to someone else who's sharing their pain with you, where you start to get kind of like lost in their discomfort, whatever it may be, whether it's their anger or grief. And this can manifest in all different kinds of ways. First, it can just manifest in your own sort of sense of like, 
I'm just feeling what they're feeling, right? I'm just like, I just like, I feel the, the, the visceral, like quality of like overwhelmed by the sensations of pain that I'm getting from that person. And you may in fact, even reinforce it by identifying with it and sort of egging them on. Like, yeah, you know, like, God damn, you know, like sort of echoing back anger or whatever frustration or whatever it is that they're giving to you in a way that produces this feedback loop where instead of holding that feeling with any kind of space, you have become caught up in it. And in fact, what you're doing for your friend is instead of providing a spacious container for their emotions, just identifying with and reinforcing. And of course, you know, the interesting thing is that a lot of us have at times gotten the message that to be a good friend is to do exactly that, right? It's actually to go along with whatever you know, feeling or emotion the friend is communicating your way. Um, and yet, and, you know, I, I think it's an interesting thing to think of like, what, how does it feel? <laughs> well, this is not really about right or wrong, actually. This is just about um, what happens when you do that versus receiving their emotions with the kind of spaciousness that we just cultivated in this sitting in which we have practiced relating to our own unpleasant emotions with. Um, so, so last week I read an email, right? And responded to an email where a, a Williams student had said, you know, she was talking about like, just feeling like too, it was too much to, to take on the suffering of others. Like, how can I be open to the world and not become overwhelmed all the time? And that's why I got into this topic of empathy versus compassion. And one of the things I said last week in, um, in my remarks was how, one of the things I've gotten at Williams is a sense that Williams students feel like to be a good friend is to identify with the suffering of your friend when they share it with you. You take it on. You feel what they feel. After that class, that student who I was responding to wrote and actually picked out that line in particular and said that resonated so powerfully, you know, that that is exactly the message that she had gotten at Williams. I think in, I'm just using Williams as an example and it's a particular age group I'm talking about, obviously, but I think as a general issue, you know, to go the obviously way beyond Williams. But she said, she had internalized this sense that to be supportive was to absorb, identify with the suffering of others, that she actually, that's what determined her not to be what we call a junior advisor, which is like a, a, um, a resident assistant at dorm. So juniors, like kind of proctor freshmen. And she said, she thought that's what that job was, was simply to listen to the pain of freshmen and take it all on. She said, I would die. So I'd like, I didn't apply. And, um, and so, I think I'm not, this is, and this is what, what I'm saying comes from many, many conversations with young people at the college, which is suggesting to me that there is this widespread sense that being a good friend is empathetically identifying with the suffering of those you are in relationship with. And it is no wonder there is so much empathic distress among young people these days, right? Um, it's not sustainable. 
which is exactly what this email writer was saying. This doesn't feel sustainable, you know, and it's not. So, um, so when someone is sharing suffering, can we hold it, be with it in the way that we are, we're practiced right now tonight being with areas of discomfort or suffering in ourselves? It is an exact analog. Because often where we feel the other's discomfort is going to be in how our body reacts as we are having this conversation, as they're sharing their suffering. So it's going to be this constriction, it's this tightening, right? We feel the emotions, you know, because empathy, of course, is embodied as well. It's not just, we're not just hearing their words and processing them in the matter of our minds, but we're in some ways mirroring how that person is feeling by the way our own body responds. So if we can hold the way our body is responding to this sharing with this openness, we can perhaps give that person space to feel without unhealthfully intensifying it, mirroring it back, right? Um, another thing that I've heard um, college students say to me so often is that um, along with identifying, this sort of goes along with kind of a double whammy, they feel like they're not a good friend if they can't help their, their, the person they're, that's talking to them, sharing their suffering. They have to do something for them. And of course, because this is actually true, they often feel powerless. And so then they just, you know, they feel they can't and then they beat themselves up. So they have identified with the suffering of the other. And then kind of judge themselves and feel kind of really, you know, just full of despair and helplessness because they can't do something. But again, how do we respond discomfort in ourselves when we encounter a body scan? It's not to make it go away. It's not to fix it. It's to give it space to be. So, For some of you, I think this will just be obvious. I mean, I think some of you have already come to it. It's like, this is something that I think people don't need meditation practice to come to. I think it's a, it's a meditation practice can provide helpful language for thinking about how to be a good conversational partner with someone. So I don't think this is some special Zen secret. It's not. Um, in fact, to be honest, a lot of people who practice Zen are not very good at this, you know, um, but um, that's another story. Um, but um, I think that um, some of you may be like, what? I mean, of course you're, you're supposed, you know, they just, so I would say, give it a try. And so when someone is next time sharing some suffering, some, you know, something with you, that's really, try just listening and listen to the things that come up in your mind that tell you that just being with your friend, whoever you're talking to, just listening to them is not enough. That kind of has this impulse to come in and say something, to help them, to give them advice, or to reinforce the discomfort they're feeling. Listen to those voices and see how well those voices match up with the parts of yourself that have trouble being with your own pain. So 
this is a project. This is not something, first of all, nothing I say, in fact, nothing any should ever be said taken on faith, right? This is all like topics for exploration. If it's not proven in the crucible of your own experience, you should not accept it. So this is something that actually you should experiment with. Next time someone is sharing something with you that is full of pain, try just being with them in the way that we have practiced being with ourselves. And listen, note, just as we did in this sitting, the thoughts that come up that say that that is not good enough, that you have to do something, that you have to help that person, that you have to help fix their pain, or maybe that shy away, that don't want anything to do with their pain, or that want to, whatever it may be. And then see how well those experiences, listening to other match up with the moments when you can't handle your own pain. And my hypothesis that you should test out and not accept, there's gonna be a lot of interesting parallels between the ways in which we have trouble seeing the suffering of another and the trouble we have accepting the suffering within ourselves. And the more that we can accept and just let be the discomfort we feel in ourselves, suddenly the more we're gonna be able to just let be the suffering in another. And let me tell you from experience, it is powerful for someone to be heard without someone trying to help them, fix them, or even mirror back their pain. But someone who can be with someone and just hold what it is that they're experiencing, but not get drowned in it. I mean, so many things are happening there, right? I mean, you are modeling for someone what it is to be with intense feeling and not be overwhelmed by it, which is probably something that's like one of the most helpful things you can do for that person. But also it's just to not, to, to, for someone to be heard and seen without having someone try to do anything with or for you is kind of amazing. And that actually ends up often being the most powerful thing you can do for another person. It's incredible. I'm just speaking from experience, you know? Um, and, you know, I think, again, like to go back to something I said last time, you know, so many William students said, I don't understand how you can do all the emotional labor you do, you know, talk like talking to so many students, you know, hearing about so much suffering. And it's because I listen in this way. You know, if I actually thought that my job was to make people feel better, you know, or do something, fix them, or take on their pain, then goddamn, I'd be totally exhausted. I would have quit, you know. But because I don't, the weird thing is it actually does more for the people who talk to me. You know, it's because like I don't that they're like, oh my God, this space feels different than every other space I'm in where everyone is trying to be like the person who has the right advice or the right help or this or that, right? It's kind of amazing. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just another person. Um, I, I honestly, like, I, I'm not saying this as some kind of cagey rhetorical, like you really shouldn't believe anything I'm saying. Like you should try it out. Uh, like, honestly, it's, it's like there's for everything that, that you hear on these Tuesday nights, this is, this is not an authority figure 
who is a master of something that is like passing down wisdom. This is like someone who's like kind of like interested in the same things you are, right? And tried a few things out and says, try this. Now, some of you are already doing what I'm talking about. Exactly. And I would love that would be interesting to hear. Others, maybe this might be like, wow, I don't know, that's really different. You know, try it. See how it feels. Listen to the tone of voice that comes up. Like, is it the voice that actually like thinks you can do something for the person? Or is it the voice that says, you're a helper? You know, like, who are you if you can't help people? You know, what, where are the voices coming from that compel you to say something when in all likelihood, you may not have something actually helpful to say. And the best thing you could probably offer your friend is an open heart and an open ear. I'm going to pause there um, for sake of time. And because again, this is just, we're just sort of like, like you say this all the time. I probably like, maybe it's the tiresome. Like we're just touching this. We're just getting into this. <laughs> like like um, maybe that's all I'm capable of doing is just opening topics that I can't finish. But anyway, um, so are there any thoughts, questions, like pushback, anything? Um, and maybe this is like obvious to everyone. I don't think it is, but it might be, and that'd be cool. Bernie, I, I had I had I had a thought. Hi, Patty. Hey, I haven't been in a while, but um, and I wasn't there last week, but I did listen to the podcast. Um, I thought it was great. I think it's amazing. I'm I'm interested to try it out, but it seems like to me it would it might become a, a little bit tricky to navigate between getting them to feel like you actually. Um, do care, are listening, and 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 are are just somewhat detached and 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 not not really, you know, and that and that feels like it wouldn't be helpful at all, if if you know what I mean. Like there's there's no, somewhat totally. a, a bit of a shifty ground between between making sure that my demeanor and my my expression, right, mm -hmm. give off the sense of, oh, I am listening to you, you know, I am. I am, I am here with you as opposed to I'm, I'm just, you know, detached and, and I can't leave the situation because whatever. Oh, Peter, are you, I don't want to cut you off. Are you, are you through with? Yeah, no, I'm done. I'm no, done. that's great. No, actually that's, I'm really glad you brought that up. So, um, so actually one of the reasons I think I suggested the deep listening exercise last time, which is like just inviting someone to speak to you for seven to eight minutes nonstop mm -hmm. and just listen. It's because it's a kind of scenario we can practice this, right? Um, and it's like, you're, it's clear to the other person that you, you have made a commitment not to say anything, right? You can tell them what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And so it's really a laboratory for you to experiment and notice the ways in which it's actually really hard to listen for that long, right? Mm -hmm. um, but even in that context, there's nothing wrong with like nodding, smile, you know, kind of like acknowledging that you're hearing what the person's saying. You know, you know what I mean? Or even like, you know, nonverbal, like, mm -hmm, yeah, sure. you know, um, it's not about, it's not about like, like sitting in meditation posture. <laughs> you know, that, would, that would be really weird. Okay. So, so, so in case there's any worry about that, that's not at all what I'm talking about. And right. in the, in a, 
in a other kinds of um, conversations, like in like, for, you know, I'm thinking of like office hour conversations I have with students who come in, right? Um, it's definitely, there is a responsiveness, but it's not, it's, the key is, I think it's, and actually in, in practice, it's not as mis as difficult as it might sound in theory or abstractly. It's actually very easy to say things that make clear that you're listening and that you care, that aren't doing the kind of thing like, oh, well, here, let me tell you what, you know, or like explain to the person analyzing what their problem is or explain to them what's going on or giving them advice about how to feel better or, um, or um, you know, just kind of like sharing, you know, feeding into their irateness or their frustration or, you know, what, or their despair or like, man, man, mm -hmm. everything sucks. I know, you know, this or that, right? So it's like um, acknowledging that you are listening and hearing and you care um, is very, is, I think it's organic, there are no rules for it, but I think there's, that's actually very appropriate and I think very, you know, important that the other person feels like you are there and engaged, you're not detached. And in fact, if you start to feel detached, that may be a defense mechanism. You know, some people actually respond to difficult conversations by actually like pulling back, you know, and mm -hmm. kind of going into a shell. And it may not be, act, you know, this is so, a body scan is not detachment. When you're with your sensations, you're with them, right? It's not about feeling them at a distance. It's feeling them, but not getting overwhelmed by them. And I think, so practicing that in your own sitting makes it easier to feel like you're doing that with another person. Presence with yourself translates very naturally into genuine presence with another. Um, what that will look like will vary person to person. We all have different personalities, we have different things we say, and your relationship with your friends will be different too. So all of that, there's gonna be a lot of room for improvisation and variation, but I just wanna acknowledge that, yes, this is not about being detached or aloof. And therefore indications that you are there listening and care are totally appropriate. Mm -hmm. Well, it's 844. Um, and so maybe, I don't know, unless someone, if, I, if someone wants to share something, I, I think people can always sign off, but if someone, so if there's someone, but I also don't want to keep everyone, so. Um. Okay. So um, if you can find a friend and um, try the deep listening exercise, seven, eight minutes, just say, please tell me about something that's, you know, weighing on you these days, something that, you know, and just talk for seven, eight minutes. I'm just going to listen. I think your friend might find it incredible. Um, and I think you will find it interestingly difficult not to intervene, you know, and that will be very, very interesting if you pay attention to the ways in which you feel like, you know, wow, that was really hard. Why was that so hard just to listen for seven or eight minutes, you know? Um, for teachers, it's also a great exercise because silence is so scary in a classroom, right? And yet when I started doing this and could then suddenly let the classroom be quiet, it opened up whole new levels of openness in classroom discussion when students, because if you project anxiety, around quiet, they'll pick that up and they will start to talk in ways that actually aren't genuine, but designed to alleviate your anxiety. 
you know? Um, and so, so anyway, it works in a lot of different settings in a lot of different ways. Okay. So um, if you are tired and need to go, please do. But um, I would love to sit for just a minute, okay, before, just as a way of, of closing the evening with silence. Thank you. All right, everyone. Thank you for being here. And um, I wish you a good week. And I look forward to seeing hopefully many of you next week. I'm happy to hang out too if anyone wants to follow up with anything. But for the rest of you, good night. Take care. Thank you, Bernie. Thank you, Bernie.